We're walking through the Old Testament, and we're seeing Christ in all of Scripture. Last week we were in Judges, and this week we are in the book of First and Second Samuel. You may be wondering, why are you in First and Second Samuel? Well, this is actually one book in the Hebrew text. It's called Samuel. And um, this book is an interesting book in a, in a world today where everyone wants to flex their status, their might, their prominence, or their money on Instagram, God shows in the book of Samuel that the humble will be exalted and the prideful will be brought low. Uh, I've read this book multiple times, but uh, reading it this week has been a humbling experience. And let me tell you why. Because it shows the sovereignty of God in every situation. Many of you guys are wondering, uh, where is God in my life? I don't see him. I don't know him. I'm not sure where he is. I'm, I'm somewhere off in the distance. All of these things are happening to me. Where is the Lord? And we're going to see in this text of scripture and throughout this book that if you humble yourself under the, the mighty hand of God, he will lift you up in due time. First Peter 5, 5 through 6 says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now the idea in scripture is to trust in a sovereign God who is in control of all things. That mankind himself does not need to elevate himself lest he be made low by the God who is deserving of all glory. And their role is to humbly walk with the Lord and those that do that will be exalted. Now Jesus talks about this multiple times but in Luke chapter 4, Seven, I mean, excuse me, Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives a story to illustrate this picture, what this looks like. And he told a parable of those who were invited and how they chose places of honor. And he says to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come in and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And then he says these words, Jesus says in verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this isn't the first time that we see this idea because it's right here in 1 and 2 Samuel. But it is certainly magnified by Jesus himself. Jesus actually goes to the lowest of lows. He humbles himself upon the cross. Philippians 2 
gives us this idea that he made himself nothing, taking on flesh, becoming a servant even unto death, death on a cross. Only for the Lord to exalt him to the right hand of God. Amen? So when we see this idea playing out in, Sam, in the book of Samuel, we see the cross of Christ on display. The weak being lifted up by the Lord himself, the mighty hand of God. So let's look at the, this book. First and second Samuel actually was written as one book and not until the 15th century did they divide the books. The, the book of Samuel picks up where judges left off. At the end of the book, where there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. As the story of First and Second Samuel lead us to the humble king who will point his people back to the Lord, which will point us to Jesus. So there's three major characters in the book of Samuel. Samuel, obviously, in chapters 1 through 8, and recounts his life and, and God exalting him from being a little child. And Saul, who is 9 through 15, who is the first king of Israel, and God will make him low. And David, in, verse, in chapters 16 all the way through 2 Samuel 24 and David's life will be up and down up and down according to the sovereignty of God and how God is creating and making David like Christ. But the book begins with a woman who is without child. Her name is Hannah and Penina, her rival has children and it, the Bible says she provoked Hannah. And the Lord hears the woman without child, and God gives her a child named Samuel. And Hannah's prayer of exaltation of the Lord in chapter 2 gives an outline to the book for us to see that the humble will be exalted. Let me read for you at the first Samuel chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. And exalt the horn of his anointed. The boy whom Hannah has, she gives to the Lord and to Eli, who is the priest in the house of the Lord, and yet Samuel is the one whom the Lord will speak as a little boy, and he will be elevated among Eli's household. And Eli's house will be brought low and be removed from their role of priesthood. The, the Philistine army thinks it's won a great battle in, 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 the preceding, in the preceding chapters, and they take the Ark of the Covenant only for their idols to have fallen face down before the Ark and plagues beginning to happen 
in each place that the ark or the presence of God is. And now we pick up our story at the end of Samuel's life, and he's becoming old, and Israel demands a king from Samuel, who is the judge or the ruler. Remember, in Judges, they they had these judges. Samuel is considered a judge. And Samuel is upset. He is not pleased. And I've always wondered, why is Samuel not pleased that Israel had a king? I mean, God did tell Abraham kings would come through him. Moses was told in Deuteronomy chapter 17 that they were allowed to appoint a king from the Lord. But really what it comes down to is the people reject Yahweh as their king. They reject God as their king. They were supposed to be priests or a kingdom of priests serving God, yet they wanted to be like all the other nations. And God wanted them to be set apart or different than all the other nations. So Samuel in chapter 8 tells the people how bad it's going to be. Having a king is going to take your sons to fight his battles. He's going to take your daughters to work in his castle. He's going to take your vineyards for himself. And he's going to require at least a tenth of all you have for his taxes. So that he can be fat, have much, and live a king's life. It's not going to go well for you, Samuel tells the people. And this is the people's response in 1 Samuel 8, 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may be like the, all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Who is the one that fights the battles in Exodus? It is the Lord. 21, and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So God gives them Saul. But giving Saul to Israel is actually a judgment upon Israel. Saul is, looks great. He's tall. He's handsome. He says the right things on the outside. But as we go in the story, he shows his true colors. There's a funny story at the intro to Saul where Saul can't find his father's donkeys. And the reader is supposed to understand how can this man be king if he can't even take care of his father's donkeys? He's from the wrong tribe, Benjamin's, because God has shown us that Judah will be the tribe in which the king comes from. So we have all sorts of issues with Saul. And eventually Saul will have a pattern of disobedience. He cannot wait to perform the right sacrifices. And then when he thinks he is doing right, he's actually doing wrong and being disobedient to whatever he thinks is right. Again, we're going back to Judges as he thinks it is right in his own eyes. And eventually Samuel declares the kingdom torn from him and given to another. First Samuel thirteen fourteen. But now your kingdom shall not continue, telling Saul... The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 
So we have this conflict at the center of the book of Samuel. King Saul is still in charge, yet God has already anointed David as the king. Remember the story of David becoming king. Samuel comes to the house of Jesse. And the Lord send, as the Lord sends him to anoint the new king, and, da- and Jesse sends out seven of his sons. And he says, which one of these is going to be kings? And Samuel says, none of these are going to be king. Do you have any more? He says, I have a youngin taking care of the sheep, but you don't want him, do you? Samuel says, that's him. And the famous line, man sees outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart is born. And then you have this young David who defeats Goliath. He defeats the seed of the serpent as Goliath is described as having scale armor like a snake. Remember Genesis 3.15 where the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. Goliath is a seed of the snake or Satan. And God again exalts the humble and brings the low, brings to low the proud. With a sling and a stone, the giant is conquered. All glory to God. But this is all pointing to the one who will ultimately defeat the ancient serpent, Satan, through the cross. But because David is blessed by the Lord, he is conquered, and God has given him many things and the blessings of God, Saul becomes jealous of David and wants to kill him. One note to the story is this. David loved Saul. Saul actually loved David for a time. David actually lived in the king's house. He fought for the king. He helped the king. He's best friends with the son of the king, Jonathan. And yet Saul is now trying to kill David. This is the humble will be exalted. We turn to the centerpiece, I think, of the book, these three stories in in 1 Samuel chapter 24, which gives us a picture of Christ. So turn with me to 1 Samuel 24, verse 1, and we're going to read... This first story together, the first 12 verses of David sparing Saul's life. If you'll stand with me in reading in God's word, we stand because we believe that this is the inerrant scripture and all authority and power comes through this in speaking God's truth. 1 Samuel 24 verse 1, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds. By the way, where he was, there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. It's key, you got to remember that. Then David arose, stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. 
And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up, rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose, went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Amen. You can be seated. Father, as we read these scriptures, we see so much counterculture in this text. Help us to open our hearts and hear with our ears and see with our eyes of the ways of God in which you, you declare to us according to your gospel Help us to see the truths of Scripture for what they truly are, the character and the nature of God at work in our lives. Help us to be people who understand with our head and it moves to our heart and our desires and ultimately to our hands in which we do what you want us to do, not what the world says. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The paradox of the low being exalted and the high being made low because ultimately David will become king here, yet he's hiding in a cave, is all over the scriptures. But one story Jesus tells is this crazy story about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. Lazarus is so low he just wants to eat from what falls from the rich man's table. He just wants to feed off the crumbs from what the rich man has. At his gate, he sits day and night just waiting for the trash to go through it. And it, the, the text Jesus describes the rich man having these beautiful clothes, this beautiful gate to keep people like Lazarus out of his home and he eats like a king. And they both die. Both of these men die. Jesus says Lazarus goes to heaven and is exalted. Where the rich man is made low and is in torment. And in this torment, the, 
the rich man who had everything on this earth is asking Lazarus who had nothing on this earth for one drop of water on his tongue. One drop of water. The places have now switched. The lowly exalted, the prideful made low. This, this idea of how the Lord views the world in which we live, it should change the way you view the people around you. It should, should change the way that we look at the poor. It may change the way in which we look at ourselves. It may cause you to reject the ways of the world and to seek first the kingdom of God. My prayer is that you see your life and envision how God works in your life. In the case of Lazarus and the rich man, it wasn't until death did God exalt Lazarus because he looked to the Lord even in his lowly state and he made low the rich man because he did not look to the Lord but first and second Samuel talks about God's direction and plan even in this life the humble will be exalted. The same is true of David, who goes to fight the giant Goliath with a sting and a stone, no armor. Yet David trusts in the Lord. Hannah, the same way without child, as Penina re- provokes her. Yet she pleads with the Lord, God giving her Samuel. Samuel, a young boy who thinks Eli is speaking to him, now becomes the primary prophet or judge. In this case, in which the Lord will speak through now David, who has been anointed king, is now running in a cave. He has nothing. He's become very low. God has given his wife, I mean, Saul has given his, David's wife to another man. David is at the lowest point of his life, right here. And he says, no, I'm not going to exalt myself. I'm going to allow the Lord to exalt me. And the next few chapters later, David will be anointed and will be king. The idea of the story is David humbles himself to the point of loving his enemies. He trusts in God's provision, not taking for himself what God had already promised him. If you're low right now in your life, praise the Lord that you have an opportunity to submit yourself to the Lord God Almighty and his plan for your life so that he may raise you up. And if you're exalted, better watch out because at the end of David's life, he's exalted and he doesn't watch out. 
and he's made low because of his rejection of God and thinking he can take his own way and exalt himself. David is called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because in this text, he pictures to us the gospel. Grace and love for his enemies, giving them life when they are deserving of death and judgment. David became low, humbling himself, even bowing before Saul so that God could raise him up. In this first story of chapter 24, this is our first point. God chooses a king who will submit himself to God's plan. God chooses a king who will submit himself to God's plan. This is David here in this text, but ultimately it will be Christ. Look at verse four with me. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Remember that, that, that passage of scripture just keeps ringing in our ears from judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Samuel's trying to tell us here, do whatever seems good to you, David. Even though David's men thought this was the Lord giving him into David's hand, David knew that the Lord was the judge, not him. He knew that God had given David the throne. And instead of taking it for himself, he waited upon the Lord. God had already promised David was going to be king. And yet, he didn't take it into his own hands. Think of the temptation of Christ. When Jesus is tempted by Satan himself, Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. And again, the devil took him to the very high mountains, showed him all the kingdoms in the world and all their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. God had already promised Jesus would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He'd already promised that he would have the nations for himself. And yet Satan's saying, take it now. Take it now. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Just as God had already declared Jesus to rule the nations, David had already been declared king. Yet David did not take and eat as Adam and Eve took and ate. In the garden and many times after, men and women would snatch or try to take what the Lord was already freely trying to give to them. God had already given David the kingship. And David trusted in God. The greatest story on this topic is actually Jacob and Esau. The Lord tells Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, that the two boys who are in the womb, the older will, will serve the younger. 
Yet for some reason, the whole story is about Jacob trying to take the blessing when God had already declared the blessing to Jacob. Jacob's name in Hebrew, it means heel, which is an idiom for trickster, one who grabs the heel. He tries his best to deceive to get the blessing which God has said he would already have. So when you read that story, you need to understand that God had already given Jacob the blessing, yet he tries to to manipulate the situation to receive the blessing. And David does the exact opposite here. God had already given him the blessing of being the king, and he doesn't take it. He waits upon the Lord. And what happens with Jacob? His deception, his strife and wrestling with the Lord, his strife with his family, will bring about Joseph, one of his sons who is sold into slavery by his brothers, leading God's people to Egypt. Really, it's either humble yourself or God will do that. I, I, I can think of my own life. My father was the uh, CEO of, of Warnico, a giant company in New York City, the parent company to Chaps Ralph Lauren, Speedo, all these things. He had a Park Avenue office in New York City. I mean, top of the world, Okay. 10,000 square foot house. He drove a Porsche. Only a few years later to have nothing. It had been taken away from him completely. He drove a 1978, this is in the mid 90s. He drove a 1978 two door Nissan pickup that he got from his brother. He had bought from his brother who was an alcoholic and had dings on the side of the doors. And that's what he drove when I was in high school. As God had taken him from the very top to the very low. Yet God would raise him up as he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God and give him great knowledge of God's word and the scriptures which he would teach to his child, myself. That's one example of my family. I have many examples of this. I was playing basketball in 2002 for a showcase for college coaches. I thought I was pretty good and my ankle snapped in half, being brought very low, only to humble myself and realize I could not do anything apart from the Lord himself, only for him to raise me up again to win a state championship that year. I could go on and on. Every time we humble ourselves, we give the glory to God. We do not take on our own timing. We humble ourselves in the darkest and lowest places in our life. God will exalt his people because he is glorified in that. And you, you, may be, you may be in a difficult stage in your life. Maybe your health. Maybe you're not married and you think you should be married. Maybe your marriage is in the dumps. And you just want to take 
whatever that may be. Pornography, your marriage is struggling. I just want to take. Or you, you, I just need a boyfriend. Maybe he doesn't walk with the Lord. But maybe I just need to take that. And God is wanting his people to wait and trust in the sovereignty of a good God who loves his children. Look at verse eight. Afterward, David also arose, went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. I, I am utterly shocked at this. I, I'm a millennial. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it just means they, they're, they're very messed up because they grew up without cell phones and now they have cell phones and they can't figure it out and they're trying to figure it all out, okay? So, um, <clears throat> but I'm shocked at this display of respect for authority. He bows down to this worthless man, Saul. How, how, how does he do that? Why does he do that? Because he believes in a sovereign God who places whom he wills in the position of authority. His men, his men are in the, in the cave saying, you didn't vote for this guy. He's a Democrat. Take him off the throne right now. David's saying, no, he's whom the Lord has placed in this position of authority. We, we respect the position not because they're deserving of respect, but because we submit ourselves to the Lord and his plan. And, and, and you read here, it doesn't mean that we just take it. David speaks to Saul very plainly. He protests Saul, if you will. That's fine. But, but he respects the Lord and his plan of authority. That's every area of our life. That's our parents, our boss, our teacher, our husband, our governor, our president. It's really not on the basis of being good. Saul is wicked. The Lord has left him. His throne has been taken from him. Samuel has anointed David as king, and yet David has respect for Saul. Why? Because of the Lord. We've lost all sight of this in my generation and younger. I'll be the first to admit I struggle with authority and have struggled with authority for most of my life. But we all must submit to the Lord as the authority and allow that to bleed into all of our life. And when we do that, we submit to him because he is sovereign and good and has placed in our lives these people who are over us for his good purposes. And guess what? He will be the judge that's what David says. 
May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. When we try and take into our own hands, we declare that God is unable to judge or that he is not the righteous judge or that he will not judge inequity or wrongdoing. Ah, but he will. Oh, the God I know judges justly. We read the Old Testament. He judges justly. And we'll see that here in the next story. Next story is chapter 25. David has been taking care of this guy, Nabal's sheep. His men have been protecting Nabal's uh, shepherds. They've been protecting his, what he has been given, all of his flock. David sends one man to Nabal to ask if they can eat together during a feast. And Nabal replies, who is this David? Obviously, everybody knows David in Israel. David and Goliath, Saul chasing David. Now David is angry that Nabal, which his name means fool, has rejected David. And David tells his men, strap on the sword. We're not gonna be treated like this. But Nabal has a wise wife. Her name is Abigail. She hears what's happened and prepares a feast to meet David and his men as he's coming in to kill Nabal and his household. This is where we pick up in the story, verse 23 of chapter 25. When Abigail saw David, he hurried and got down from the donkey, fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. Now we're supposed to link that back to the previous story where David falls on the ground for Saul. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Now look at her. She's taking the guilt of the wicked Nabal upon herself. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so he, he is Nabal is his name, the folly is with him. But if I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent, now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now, let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of the enemies he shall sling out from the hollow of his sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt with you, Then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, 
who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had been not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and have granted your petition. So what happens here? Abigail comes on behalf of wicked Nabal, presents herself before King David, says, please don't destroy my household and saves David from committing the sin that he just did not commit against Saul. Here's our second point this morning. God chooses a king who will be declared righteous in God's sight. Abigail is now the mediator with the anger of David and pleads on behalf of the wicked Nabal. But in doing this, David receives a clear conscience before the Lord. Abigail is now the one showing the gospel as she stands in the gap of a sinner, allowing the sinner to be forgiven on the righteous act of another. It is God's grace that Abigail is there for David too. Look at verse 31. My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. David is declared righteous not because of his intentions, but because he allowed others around him to step into the gap for him. What does this mean for us today, right? It means if you're not in community, if you don't have others standing in the gap for you, you will make decisions that you regret. If you're not vulnerable and don't have Abigails in your life saving you off from disaster, it will not be good. You will take and you will eat. Let me ask you this question, church. Who speaks truth into your life? When you're angry, who do you tell? When you're sad or depressed, how many people know that? Obviously, we go to the Lord, but also he uses his people or filled with the spirit to discern what is happening and point you back to the truth of the gospel. If you're not in a community group where you can share the intimate details of your heart, then you're in danger of not being able to stand against the enemy in temptations. We just got done saying how humble David was for not killing King Saul, who is trying to kill him, only for him to attempt to kill a fool over not giving him some bread. It's interesting but what we studied last week, this was the beginning of the fall of Gideon. He killed a whole town, Penuel, for not giving him and his men bread. Do you see the connection? 
And that begins the downfall of Gideon. Praise God that Abigail steps in the gap. Because David is pointing us to the true King of kings and the Lord of lords who will never fail. David is actually the failure in this story. And we know David will fail mightily. David will become king. He will build, God will build a great big house for him. He will move the Ark of the Covenant into the mount, the temple mount in Jerusalem. God will give him everything that he ever asked for. God blessed him and he gives rest on all sides. 2 Samuel 7 said God gave him rest from the surrounding armies. It's almost as if we're returning to the Garden of Eden. God in his presence on the Temple Mount amongst his people giving them rest. There's no fear any longer of people coming in. And then David sits on the top of his his castle, his house, and he takes and he eats. Takes someone who is not his own wife and then has Uriah the Hittite Hittite, Bathsheba's husband killed for it. The rest of 2 Samuel is now this. Sexual immorality, murder in David's own house. Only for David to humble himself again in repentance and the Lord exalt him as king once more. But David's sin begins the cycle again downward, as we'll see next week in First and Second Kings. The household of David will need another who will come as the king who will lead his people in all righteousness. His name is Jesus. By the way, you think our God is not a just God? What happens at the end of this story? Nabal dies. Ten days later, Abigail goes and tells him what all happened. He has a heart attack and he's turned to stone and dies ten days later. The Lord judges him for his wickedness and Abigail actually marries David. Abigail, the lonely servant who's bowed down to the ground, who is married to a wicked man, is now elevated to the wife of the king. Our God is a just judge. If you are low and you are being oppressed right now in your marriage, in your life, whatever, cry out to the Lord. Be faithful and obedient to him and he will exalt you in due time. Even though Saul says he was wrong the first time, he continues to go after David. And this time with his whole army. And David says, I'm going into, this is not chapter 26 now, but David now says, I'm going into the middle of Saul's army. Just as Gideon went with 300, David now takes two. 
Him and one other. We pick up the story in verse 7. I'm almost done. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless again? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now take the spear that is in, at his hand in the jar of water, And let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. This is our third point. God chooses the king who will love his enemies. This story I I meditated on for for all week, and I, I, I... I knew that this was the picture, the centerpiece of this book, but I couldn't understand why it was the centerpiece of this book. But it's the inverse of the gospel. It's like looking into the mirror of the gospel. The unrighteous king is spared the spear by a soldier, yet he is completely deserving of it, whereas the righteous king takes the spear into his side on the cross by the soldier for the unrighteous people. It is the inverse of the gospel. David is a man after God's own heart because he loves his enemies as Christ loved his enemies. He took the cross Bearing the shame for his enemies, you and for me, sinners against the holy and righteous God. God gave his life for us. My friends, we are Saul, disobeying God's commands, not deserving to live, yet God in his mercy showed us mercy. He's not only allowed us to live, but then he invites us to have a seat at the table. One of Saul's grandsons is Mephibosheth. He's a crippled from birth. He thinks David will kill him once he takes the throne. But David invites him into his house. He sits at the king's table. The enemies of God sit at the table with the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Why? Because of Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross. He invites you to come and eat with him. And at the end, David receives a blessing from his enemy, Saul. You see, we understand that those who seek their own kingdom, they will meet bitter ends. Yet those who seek the kingdom of God will be placed in the hands of God. And we'll be exalted in due time. This is every area of our life. Our finances. Do we trust the Lord with our money? And our giving? Or do we hold on to it to make ourselves king? 
our marriages? Do you trust the Lord with your spouse or do you try to take control trying to change their life? Do you try do you trust the Lord with your job and waiting upon the Lord or do you need to take it into your own hands and try to elevate yourself? Cutting corners all the way through. How about the way that you treat others? Do you feel a need to flaunt your accomplishments on your social media account or do you give the Lord praise and glory for his work in your life? How about forgiveness? Do you trust the Lord to be the righteous judge for your enemies or do you take it into your own hands and take vengeance upon them? You see, we have a king who showed us what it's like to submit ourselves to the Lord. His name is Jesus. Will you submit yourself and your life into the hands of a righteous God? who will exalt you in due time. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you that we are unworthy to be spared, yet you have given us grace as your church, the people of God, that we may have faith that Christ died for our sins. And Father, give us the faith of David that no matter what circumstance we are going through, no matter what area of our life that we have been made low, that you would exalt us, not because of our righteousness or us taking but because we humbled ourselves and submitted ourselves to your will and your plan. Father, there are many in this room today who are struggling with this, who have heard this, and yet their hearts have grown hard towards the truth of the scriptures. They're struggling to receive your word as truth. They're struggling to submit themselves to a holy and righteous God in every area of their life. And you're calling them to bow their knee to the righteous and holy God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who gave his life for them. Would you call people out this morning? to repent, to bow their knee to Christ alone. To stop going from their own ways and their own direction to go God's direction and ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.